Hello friend, C-Note here and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like baby metal, the perfect mix of baby and metal. Today on the show, uh, I don't know why that made me laugh so much, it's really stupid. Today we're going to be talking about what makes effective criticism. And what's important to me about this topic is that for introverted thinkers, this is the process that is like, helps you really understand what introverted thinking is and understands the difference between introverted thinking and extroverted feeling and the connection that inherently exists between the two. Because when we assume we're just giving an introverted thinking judgment, it actually is an extroverted feeling judgment when it leaves us. The second our introverted thinking leaves us, it's no longer introverted thinking, it's extroverted feeling. I'm combining the two when I'm doing these videos, I'm using some of my thinking to share this stuff with you. But most of the time we're just blasting our opinions out at <laughs> people. And to use more effective introverted thinking is to become a better critic. To become a better critic is to better use better introverted thinking. So let's break down some of the key elements that we're going to talk about here to not only be able to use introverted thinking more effectively, but to separate introverted thinking and criticism from cynicism and even constructive criticism. And because critic criticism is not just about uh, a judgment. Criticism is the act of noticing. And we're going to talk about that all throughout this video. So we're going to cover what is criticism, criti uh, being critical versus being cynical, conscious bias versus unconscious prejudice, cynical as entertainment, and effective criticism. So let's start with what is criticism? Now, there's the cultural understanding of criticism, and then there's the introverted thinking definition of criticism. I'm focusing more on the introverted thinking definition of criticism because the cultural version of it bundles in cynicism, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to extract cynicism from criticism. So Molly came to me once recently and told me that there was a uh, Neil Gaiman quote that she shared with me that I thought was really interested and started me down this track that was um, saying that the artist's job is to explode and the critic's job is to look through the shrapnel. Now for me, that says so much. That clears a lot up. And um, the reason that I'm focused on this is because I've been an artist for 20 years now and uh, I've gone through, I've learned how to be constructively critical. Um, I've learned to, I've learned the difference between that and cynicism based on different teachers, how people look at art, how people look at uh, movies and books and televisions and, and give their opinion laced with all sorts of biases that for me affects how effective that criticism actually is. There's a difference between saying something is bad and then saying something is a descriptive, you know, what it is. And I think the critic's job is to help us notice what is. It's to help someone notice like what is actually happening. It's like the artist explodes and you've got the emotional reaction of like, oh, that was intense or that was a lot or I didn't like that. That made me uncomfortable or that was weird or whatever. A lot of people assume that's a criticism. That is not a criticism. That is a judgment. That is, that is a, an emotional decision. Whereas when you're being a critic, 
you are looking through and trying to determine what led to this. What are the pieces? What do they look like? What do they what do they feel like? What is happening? Why did this happen? Who did it? Uh, is it likely to happen again? <laughs> what are they trying to say? Uh, does it mean something? Those are all sorts of explorations of possibilities. So what is critical versus what is being cynical? Being critical is to ask questions. It's uh, seeking possibilities, uh, supporting meaning making, and providing personal taste versus just personal taste, prejudice, and limits of worldview. So let's break that down a little bit. Asking questions, like I just said, the shrapnel, you're looking through the pieces of what just happened. Let's say you're watching a movie and you're trying to figure out, like, what are the decisions that the, the director made? What are they trying to say? Why did they choose this color? Why did the prop maker make this prop? Um, why did they choose this camera angle? Why did they choose this lighting? What are they trying to say? What are they trying to convey? What is the meaning that they're trying to create here? Um, what are the possibilities of what they're trying to say? Because unless you're talking to the actual prop maker or you're talking to the actual artist or director, you don't know. You're just, you're just speculating. And that's okay. You don't have to have conviction. You don't have to know the answers. You're helping someone seek possibilities. You're helping someone to pick through the shrapnel to understand what they may be saying. And, um, and, and at the end of the day, when you're providing a constructive criticism or you're providing a helpful criticism, it's about providing personal taste, but separating personal taste from what's happening. Like you can look through the shrapnel and you can determine this is not for me, or you can say like, this is great. That's a personal taste. That's a personal decision. That's something that you like, but to go to someone and say like, this is bad. Like that's why <laughs> not only why is it bad, but why should the other person think it's bad? And why should you be convincing them that it's bad? It's not relevant to convince someone that it's bad. That's not introverted thinking. That's extroverted feeling to try to convince someone to also think what you think. That is a vibing with someone kind of thing. So to honor your introverted thinking is to be able to lend someone your thoughts. To be empowered as an INTP is to lend someone your thoughts, not try to convince them to think like you are thinking. That is robbing someone of their empowerment and you taking all of the power for them. You're making decisions for them. Critics don't do that. Cult leaders do that. <laughs> and, you know, the way the internet is these days, everyone's trying to be some version of a cult leader. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's, a, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. But that's something I try to do on this uh, YouTube channel is to give you something to think about. I'm not trying to tell you how to behave. I'm not trying to tell you necessarily what to do next. I want to help you understand what's happening in your mind through, happen through what's happening in my mind and what I've noticed in other INTPs over the course of my own personal history. So hopefully that helps you discern what you can do next. But for someone who's just being cynical, it's a focus on personal taste, prejudice, and limits of your own worldview. So whereas someone who's reviewing a camera may show you what the camera looks like with different lenses on it, a cynical person 
will only put one lens on the camera and say that it's busted or that because the camera only sees one minor perspective that it's bad, right? And that's another challenge is like the reason you seek possibilities is because you have to, you, you go into it with an open mind to try to consider what the person was thinking about, what the artist was thinking, even if that's not something you would think about, even if that's not something you would personally care about and separating your judgment of that from what they may be trying to say. If it turns out that that doesn't jive with you, fine. But understanding that there is a separation between assessment and judgment, and those two things are just completely different. And someone who's a good critic will help you separate those two things. Going through a process of like, this is what is, these are the possibilities, and then here is my assessment of those possibilities based on my experience, and these are even some of my personal biases that you should consider as a viewer so that you can make your own judgment that if these don't apply to you, then great, you may enjoy it. You may like this, but I didn't. Or you may not like this, but I did. And you're not trying to tell the other person what they should or shouldn't like. And sometimes that comes out in some of these entertainers who are trying to entertain as a cynical person. And um, I'll just I'll just jump into that. Cynicism as entertainment. Uh, so things like the angry gamer, the critical drinker, uh, it's fun for the ego, but not effective. It's not an effective way to make decisions. You know, it's fun for us to enjoy. It's fun to hear someone tear something down, especially if you don't like it already and you go find a negative review because it just feeds your like, oh, I just want to feel how terrible this thing is. And I want other people to agree how terrible this is. And I, this feels great. Ugh. Right. That's <laughs> That's kind of my general view on cynicism. <laughs> I feel like it's just, you're just feeding this like troll inside of you. That's just like, yes, let's see that everything is awful. And <laughs> to me, that's just, I don't know. I don't feel like that's helpful. Um, and that's really why this video exists because it's fun to do it as entertainment. I understand. And, I, and if you're a good writer, and you can do it really well. Like there is an actual YouTube channel called The Critical Drinker, and he does a good job um, for the most part. But then there are some video, some some reviews. Um, he did a review of the Watchmen series on HBO, and he kind of listed some of his biases at the beginning. He didn't say there were biases. He just said that he really liked the original. He liked the comics, and essentially came out the other side saying like this is not my Watchmen, and assigned all sorts of. Um, social justice things to it when there was there's a lot more going on in that series that uh because of his limits and his own personal worldview he sort of shrunk the shrunk the plot down into just a singular lens which was his worldview and his perspective on what he thinks of social justice things and when it's not about that at all there's a bigger narrative there's a bigger story there's a complex interweaving of things happening uh, in the entire series. Uh, I thought it was a really great series personally. I don't, it's not about my opinion versus his opinion. There was just a lot of information missing. And because of that, it, it wasn't an effective review unless you're someone who was like, I also want to shit on this and yes, let's shit on this together. Uh, which is really gross when you think about it. 
the next one is conscious bias versus unconscious bias. So the idea for this, you know, the critical drinker is that the, the conscious bias part of it versus unconscious bias is someone like MKBHD who has a, he creates authority by consciously expressing his bias towards something like, you know, he likes things that are red and black. He likes certain phones or he likes certain cameras or likes this or likes that. He'll still review other things and try to approach it from a, uh, a neutral standpoint. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't like something, he's going to say that it's probably because I don't like these certain types of things. And this isn't for me, but if you like this sort of thing, this might be for you. And I think that's important that if you express your preferences um, and give a full examination, regardless of, of what your personal preferences are, then you can actually be helpful to someone and you can help someone see the differences between uh, a personal opinion and what is actually uh, a, a, a professional opinion, right? It's about being professional. And I think Sometimes that happens when you see these these entertainers who are criti cynical critics. Um, they're not necessarily professional at uh, being a critic. They're professional at being a cynic. And that's fine. It's fun. But there's a difference. And I'm saying this for your sake, that to be aware of how that may be affecting your bias and your enjoyment of things, that if you're looking at this if you go to watch, because some people watch reviews of things before they even watch the thing, which I don't understand that personally, but if you watch a review of something and this person doesn't like it, you're not even going to give the thing a shot because this person has already torn it down. And uh, I think you're robbing yourself of a lot of opportunity by doing that, by, by just trusting someone who has only a cynical perspective. Um, and, and I'm hoping that you can actually try to get information from varying sources so that you're not just trusting one source. I mean, that's basically how dictatorships happen. <laughs> so uh, it's a good skill to have to trust multiple sources and not just one person. Even me, I know I give you a lot of great information, but go look at other channels, go listen to other podcasts, learn more things from more people. I'm not your exclusive source for all of this stuff. Um, so, the unconscious bias part of it is going into the work with a specific expectation, you know, like this thing needs to look like my star Wars. And if it's not my star Wars, then it automatically sucks like <laughs> that. That's uh, you know, and we can't help that. That's an unconscious bias that so many of us have, but I'm saying this to you as someone who is trying to do personal growth, who is trying to improve your introverted thinking that, um, Coming into it with a specific expectation is already dislike. You're already starting behind the line. You're already starting from a negative place. Um, you're making it personal and only showing what you see when you're criticizing it. So you're saying that I only noticed that this was not the thing that I expected it to be. And therefore it was bad. And that's the thing about being present is like, watch this thing for what it is. Try not to compare it. Try not to look at it as your past, your own past experiences. Look at the art for what it is. Pick up the shrapnel and appreciate it for its existence. So for me, giving effective criticism, as we go move into the next title card, effective criticism is all about being an archaeologist, not a battering ram. Like you're not going through the shrapnel and trying to destroy the pieces, right? You're not trying to use, hopefully this doesn't make too much noise. Okay, that was fine. 
You're not trying to use Thor's hammer and destroy all of the little bits and pieces of, <laughs> of, of what just happened. You're trying to dick, dick, dick through. You're trying to dig through. <laughs> You're trying to dig through the, uh, the, the noise, the what's happening and trying to examine it, dust it off, look at it, look at the brush strokes. So when Molly and I, we go to, um, when we go to museums, we get real close. You look real close up at the details of something. My eyes are going to go like real crooked, <laughs> but you look at the details of something and you get in there on the painting, you notice and look at what is happening. I'm going to put that down so it's not too distracting. Um, <laughs> uh, you notice what is happening in the painting. You notice the brush strokes. You notice whether someone used a big brush, a small brush, what their movements were, if they were like painting from a distance or up close and getting into the details, they were cross hatching versus like, you know, long movements that can tell you a lot about the artist's mental state that can tell you a lot about what is happening. And that to me is the equivalent of the choices that someone makes in music or movies. You know, what are the lighting choices? What are the costume choices? Um, what are they trying to convey here? Uh, the movement of the camera, the cinematography, uh, the, the font choices, you know, for example, with Wonder Woman 1984, I liked the movie for the most part, but the thing I didn't like and what, what could have set me off on a wrong track was I didn't like the opening credits, the opening graphics. I'm a graphic designer. I've been that for 20 years. So that's something I personally scrutinize a little heavier than most people probably would. And I just didn't like it. It didn't feel like it fit into the world. Um, and it was something that didn't resonate with my own personal taste. I, I felt that if I was trying to convey something that felt more, uh, ancient, something that felt more, um, I, I think the font was too modern for something that was trying to convey an opening sequence that took place in Themyscira, which was kind of, you know, back in the day. And, um, it just didn't fit. It felt, felt, um, it felt like an ineffective juxtaposition. And for me that that's why I didn't personally like that sequence. And now because I didn't like that little sequence, if I had not reset my mind, I started to feel that I was like already scrutinizing the rest of the film from behind the line, from a negative place. And it was already skewing my perspective on what the film was going to be. And as the movie went along, I started to understand the choices that were being made. I was like, realizing like, oh, okay, this is an exaggerated 1984. This is a campy kind of thing. This is intentional. This is most likely intentional. Uh, Pedro Pascal is like really amping up the, 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 this, the eighties CEO, the televangelist type of person. He represents a couple of different types of, of people in the eighties and the, the sort of cliche narrative of, um, of someone who is a nerd that wants to be the popular kid. Like that's a very eighties trope. Um, so I, once I started to understand that, that sort of eased my mind a little bit and I felt less cynical about it. Um, and I, I still thought at the end of the day, it was an effective movie and I enjoyed it. I personally enjoyed it, but, um, you know, if those things bother you, if those things are something that didn't quite make sense, um, 
and most of the judgments I've seen about that movie are about pieces that don't make sense. And what I'm trying to say is that if you as a critic, as an INTP or someone who's trying to start a critical YouTube channel, um, if you can help someone understand the possibilities of what's happening there, you know, with like the, the stone, once Pedro Pascal wished, wished to be the stone, there were a lot of people who were like, how does that, what, that doesn't make any sense, what? And if you can talk it out and help someone figure out like what's happening there, what is the, not make excuses for it, but what is the plot device? What is the director doing here? What are they trying to convey? What are they trying to, where's the transfer of power? What, like what happens? And, you know, basically picking up the shrapnel and showing it to someone like that's what you're doing. You're saying here, this is actually what's happening and helping people understand it. That's really the thing is you're just helping someone try to understand something. When you're being cynical, you're trying to give someone a judgment, assessment, awareness, or assessment versus judgment and cynicism. So I offer this kind of last uh, little example. And the example is is in the Food Network, uh, Food Network Star, where they're trying to find the next Food Network star. <laughs> um, there's like one of the early seasons that they did this. Um, you have to do this sort of uh, uh, cook a recipe on the air kind of thing. And they show you all the little bits of, of what goes into it. And one of the things that stuck out to me is the words that they have to use and to be effective. It's one thing to say, it's one thing to say that, you know, the food, oh, this food smells good, or this food smells beautiful, or it's very, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a difference, there's a difference between saying something is good or bad versus saying something is sour, right? So if I taste something and I'm like, ooh, ugh, this is sour, you can tell on my face that I didn't like it, or I can say that I didn't like it because it's sour. But if I just said like, I didn't like it, you're left to your own imagination to wonder why I didn't like it or to just trust my face and be like, Oh, that must be really bad. And just not even bother trying it. But if I were to say, Oh, this is really sour and you really like sour things, that might be a sign for you to try it. That might be something you're like, Oh, well maybe I should try it. Um, or if the person is being a good critic, they can say like, oh, this is sour. If you like sour things, maybe this is for you, but it's not my jam. So that's, that's the difference is that when we're being cynical, we're kind of going from zero to 60. We're going, this is bad versus this is sour. Therefore it's bad. We're skipping a step and introverted thinking finds all of the pieces, finds all of the steps. So if you're not using introverted thinking, you're going from this is bad and therefore you should think it's bad versus this is sour, therefore I don't like it. But if you are into sour stuff, this might be for you. And I think that's ultimately how to be an effective critic is to point out that difference between my own personal judgment, my own personal awareness, something that resonates with me and my taste buds versus what might stick out to you and your taste buds and inherently understanding that people are different. People have different, uh, worldviews. People have different tastes. People have different, um, traumas and biases that they come from. And if you express yours, that ultimately gives you more 
authority than if you weren't to do that. So if, for example, I were to taste a soup and I were to say, this is bad. And then that person who watched my video goes into a situation where they felt maybe socially pressured to try the soup or something like that, or just like it smelled good once they finally got into the, into the room with it. And then they tasted it and they're like, this is good. And then immediately they're like, well, this guy said it was bad. Like he must not know what he's talking about or he must not be very good at, at his job. <laughs> so that, that actually lends trust and authority to be using your introverted thinking to break things down. So for me, when it comes to like the cynical creators, it's not for me. It's not my vibe. But if that's something you resonate with and you really love hearing someone tear something apart, have at it. That's for you. Enjoy it. It's not my jam. So if you're an INTP that really loves personal growth and you are working seriously on your personal growth, we've got links below. If you go to our website at dopamine.life, you can check out more articles, podcasts. We've also got programs uh, dedicated to INTP personal growth for each cognitive function and for you know, collections of things. And uh, we also have an email list. And joining the email list, you'll get exclusive offers. You'll get uh, exclusive content, all of that fun stuff. And uh, you'll get into our inner circle ecosystem where you can get a little bit more personalized advice and uh, get some help along your personal growth journey. So after this very long video, I want to say that I appreciate you. Take care of yourself and everyone else. And I'll catch you next time on Dopamine. See ya. Listen to the 48 Hours podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. TIAA is on a mission. Why? Because 54% of Black Americans don't have enough savings to retire. So in collaboration with big name artists like Wyclef Jean, TIAA released Paper Right. New music inspiring a new financial future. With 100% of streaming sales going to a nonprofit that teaches students how to invest. Stream Paper Right now and help close the gap. Hi, I'm Gabriella, and um, I had a profiling session with Christian. If you are on the fence about this, I can't recommend it enough. 
I've been into MBTI for about three to four years now. And when I tell you that what I learned today made up for um, three years of guesswork, I really mean it. Um, Christian uses your own real life examples in questions that he asks you and um, lets you know how your stack, your cognitive functions work together based on the answers that you gave him. Um, And that's something that you can't find in a book or online. He gave me his undivided attention and expertise and knowledge for two hours. um, And it was more than I could have hoped for. Sign up for your own one-on-one personality profiling session at dopamine.life slash profiling session today. This has been a C-Note Media Production.